Good morning, my name is Darcy, and I call this place home. This is my home, and I love serving here. I love being here. And uh, we are just going to continue our time of worship and praise by digging in his word this morning. Amen? If you are in, uh, if you are one years old or through elementary and you want to go to Celebration Kids, you can now go do that if you haven't already. Middle school, you guys are going to be staying in here today. This word is for you too. The word of God knows no age. It is for all of us. We're going to pass out some Bibles um, if you need a Bible today, could you just raise your hand? We're going to pass them out. We do this every week. There's absolutely no shame. You know, sometimes you're running out the door and oops, you forget your Bible. Or maybe your phone is on like 10% battery life and you're just not going to make it through the next half hour. If you could raise your hand, ushers, would you get ready? We're going to pass out some Bibles. Anybody need a Bible? We're going to open up the word. Awesome. We have a couple ladies here, a couple over here, over there. Wonderful. Guys, keep your hands up until you get a Bible in your hands. Awesome. We are going to be in the book of James. It is in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Pastor Bob did a phenomenal job last week of going over this book. If you were not able to make it last week or haven't podcasted it yet, please, I encourage you, go and do so. It's a small but mighty book. There's only five chapters, but whew, five is enough. <laughs> you, know, you read through it, and you can read through it quickly, but you have to reread it and reread it and reread it. Pastor Bob, like I said, did a great job going over this book and uh, all the details. And now this book is written by James. Yeah, this book of James was written by James. And Pastor Bob established last week that James, this James, this specific James, is the brother of Jesus. He's a half-brother of Jesus. He is writing to the church, to the believers. We believe that this book was actually the second book written in the New Testament times. And James is writing a letter, encouraging people in their faith, but specifically in the actions of their faith and why that's so important. James really believed what he taught. Now we know from the gospels that James didn't necessarily believe that Jesus was the son of God. It would be hard sharing with your brother and thinking that guy, that guy's the son of God. But we found, we find out that, uh, he is, um, once Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, James comes into this knowledge and surrenders his life to Jesus and is a servant of his. He really believed what he taught. James was thrown from the temple, and when he didn't die, they beat him to death. So he, he truly believed in what he taught. He was, he was all about it. The book of James is direct and to the point. It's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, if you look at it. He has these great one-liners, you know, those jabs that really get you. But what's also interesting is the book of James is a lot like the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. So James would have been able to study the book of Proverbs, but also would have heard and have heard the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. So he, he's putting these two things together and being direct and to the point. 
And what's interesting about the first chapter is that he's actually introducing all the subjects that he's going to talk about in the next few chapters. And he's talking about what does it look like to be part of the kingdom of Christ? Not just in theory, but in action and word and in deed. And it's contrary to our culture. We hear things all the time that we know are contrary to our culture, such things as, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You should forgive. You should overlook an offense. I don't know about you guys, but overlooking an offense, any offense is very rare. We'd rather just pick up our offense and be angry. We're, we're asked to stand up for the oppressed. We're asked to feed our enemy, bless those who curse you. That's backwards to our current culture, what we live around. But we live in a kingdom, and James is speaking to this. But what's interesting is in verse 22 of the first chapter, James says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you've ever had children... You've experienced this. You've repeated yourself 20 times, and they go, I, I heard you. You heard me, but you didn't do what I asked. And James is saying the same thing. And we, we have to hear, and then we need to do. He's talking about right belief is shown by our right living, and our faith is made manifest by what we do, our works. So if you guys could, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, go to the book of James. It's after the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews is a little bit bigger of a book, so it's easier to find. So if you can find Hebrews, just uh, flip a few pages, you'll find James. And we're going to go in today to the first few verses of the first chapter. We're going to be reading verses 2 through 18. And we're going to be discussing the two points that are found in these verses, and it's what Pastor Bob brought out last week. And there are these two things. The first is this. The purpose of our trials and our posture in those trials or during those trials. Number two, the revealing of our sinful heart in those trials. You know what James is doing? He's setting us up. He's setting us up. He's going to tell us what trials are about. And then he's going to follow it up with four chapters of saying, and these are your trials. They're coming. Let's read it together. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord." He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. 
Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by our own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, care, of his creatures. Let's look at this first one. The purpose of our trials and the posture in those trials. Anybody go through a trial before? Anybody currently in a trial? <laughs> Several years ago, uh, we were, our family was in a community group. And we pray for each other. We always prayed for each other at the end. You know, who has prayer? And there were several of us at the time who were walking through legal issues, legal things. And it was funny that we would kind of get in the middle and we're praying for each other, you know, for these, these legal issues that we all have. And they were all over the board and, and their nature. But it was interesting. There was a guy who had come for the very first time. And after we prayed, he goes, is everybody have, have legal issues in this communion group? Is this like the legal issue communion group? And we're like, no, no, no. It just happens to be. You know, I'm not, in this case, we're not talking about an actual trial. You could be going through an actual trial. But this has so much more than just that. The purpose, is there a purpose in it? And when we do face a trial, how do we face it? How do we walk through it? Have you guys ever asked the question, at what point do I become like Jesus? At what point? I, I, I prayed the prayer, and I wake up the next morning, and I'm perfect. I've arrived. And you wake up the next morning, and you're like, mm, yeah, I still have some pretty bad habits. Okay, uh, at what point? Do, is it when I've read the Bible from cover to cover? Is that the point? I start behaving like Jesus? Is it if I log so many hours in prayer? Is it that I've shown up to church for 15 years and then I become like Jesus? We've seen a lot in the last few years. We start asking the question, well, when do Christians start behaving and looking and sounding like Jesus? We'll see it on social media or the news or whatever. We ask that question. And if you've been in any kind of relationship ever, mother, father, a child, you've had a friend, coworker, and your believers, you've definitely asked the question, well, when do they start looking like Jesus? Right? Especially if you've been married, you've asked that question. When do they, when, what's the point at which they become like Jesus? And if you've had kids, you ask that question, right? But you know what? Our kids ask that same question of us. At what point do they start looking and sounding and talking and behaving 
like Jesus. We've heard about, you know, and we've experienced, and some of us have walked through what's called the deconstructing of our faith. And that's looking at why is it, what is it that we believe? Why is it that we believe that? How do we process that? And I think that's a result of, because as believers, we have confessed Jesus with our mouth, but we haven't confirmed it by our lifestyle or with our actions. At what point do we start looking like Jesus? And that's not an accusation. It's a confession of sorrow. It's a sigh of sorrow. The point is when we go through trials and we allow God to lead us through those trials so that we would look like him. Does God allow trials to take place? He allows them to take place, absolutely. Does he know that we will be tempted because of what's inside us? Yes, he knows we will be tempted. But he can use them to form us and shape us into the people he's created us to be. How do I know this? Because he did the same with Jesus. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus faced trials and temptations. And if Jesus, who is perfect, had to walk through trials and temptations, how much more do we have the opportunity to walk through trials and temptations to become more like God? Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus cried out. He was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. It's not that he didn't know. It's that he got the opportunity to walk it out. And when we face trials, we have an opportunity to walk out obedience. I'm struck by this thought. Every single person that Jesus healed, even on his, his earthly ministry, when he, when he was here and he walked as a human, every single person he healed eventually died. They eventually died. And it's interesting to think that every person who was healed by the literal hand of Jesus, not every single one of them probably believed in who he was. Their healing didn't mean their salvation. But Jesus had compassion on them because he understood our timeline, our earthly experience. He understood it. So why do we have the, pur the purpose of our trials? Why do we have them? It's to purify our faith and to produce something in us, to produce patience. You know, the word trial, trials, temptations, challenges, difficulties, it means to be put into a narrow place, to be squeezed. And we have to ask ourselves, what comes out of me when I'm squeezed? What comes out of me when I'm stressed? What comes out of me when I'm tempted? What comes out of me when I'm challenged? 
What comes out? What comes out of us when we're betrayed? What comes out of us when our character is slandered? What comes out of us when we're lonely? What comes out of us when we're rejected or our dreams are crushed? What comes out of us when we go through financial lack or failure? You know, gold is purified, smelted at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 15 times hotter than the temperature at which human skin starts to burn. And four times hotter than what wood begins to burn. It's hot. But gold must be purified. It's, it's stuck together with other elements and rocks, and you put that ore into a big pot, and you stir it, and you stir it, and, and all the other stuff floats to the surface, and then you skim it off. It's hot. It has to be purified. And the Bible is full of scriptures. You look at Job and Proverbs and Psalms. Talk about as of, as of believers, we are as gold. We're precious. And when gold is purified, it comes out pure and beautiful. It comes out costly and precious. And God is doing the same thing with us. Well, God, why can't you use riches to purify me? Why can't you use, you know, the lovely things, all the things I've ever wanted? Why can't you use those? And I've asked those questions myself. You know when I find that I have the best devotional life is not when everything is going really, really well. It's when I'm going through something difficult. I'm being put through something because I'm reminded I can't do it on my own. I can't just have sheer willpower to get me through. I can't map it out. I can't discipline my way through this thing. We have to be reliant upon him. Because why? He's making us pure and beautiful and costly and precious. Because it creates an expensive kind of faith. Something you've paid for. Something you've paid for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for is the conviction of things not seen. This is Hebrews 11. And I love this. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. People ask me, Darcy, do you believe that creation was, you know, a literal 24 hours or a different space of time? So I don't know. I wasn't there. I just know God created it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna rest there. Faith is believing in who Jesus says he is. He's the son of God. And he willingly came to the earth as a human to become the perfect sacrifice for us. You know what faith isn't? Faith isn't wishful thinking. It's not a feeling. It's not optimism. It's not a formula. It's not a performance. Faith also isn't the absence of intellect or denial of our experiences. Faith is a choice. It's a decision, and choosing faith is an act of obedience, an active act of obedience. And when we make the choice to believe, we are choosing to take a conscious step towards Christ, even when it's most difficult. And when our faith is tested, our decision of faith is tested. 
And when our faith is tested, it produces patience. And if it produces patience, then let us let it work. Let it grow. Don't shortchange it. We have need of patience. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what do we do when we face trials? What do we do? We count it as joy. That's upside down. That's backwards. That goes against every feeling we've ever had ever. Count it as joy. Now, the scripture says to count it as joy. It doesn't say to enjoy it. We don't have to force ourselves to enjoy the trial, the purification process. But we have an opportunity to submit to it and to submit to the working of God in our lives. Because this is the point at which we become like Jesus. Because this is the point where we become more like him in our behavior and our language, how we respond, how we react. This is the point. And what's interesting is it can be a refining aspect in our lives if we allow it to. It's an option. If we allow it to. We all suffer, but the person who endures with patience and consistency is the one who is blessed. We're human, and if you're human, you go through human experiences. It doesn't go beyond anybody else. No one escapes it. You don't get a magic pass because you're rich and famous, or you have, you know, it all worked out, and come from a great family, or you don't need anybody. That's, you don't get a pass. Every single person goes through something difficult. But as believers, we have the opportunity to submit that to God. But why is this so difficult for us to count it as joy? Why is it so hard? Because our world, the world's view, and I'd say even in our Christian culture sometimes, in, our, in this kingdom that we're in, we have the wrong view of success. We say, if I, can, if I can give my kids the most comfortable life full of wonderful memories, that's success. If I, if I can retire comfortably, that's success. If I don't need to be dependent upon anybody else, that's success. If I never go through anything difficult in my life, that's success. If I can just get all the academic excellence there is, that's success. If I can have control, that's success. My friends, can I remind us this morning that kingdom success is actually crucifixion? It's crucifixion. And I've heard it say, and I've said it myself, even in, even in church culture, we'll say, we'll say things like this when people are going through trials. We'll say, well, your pain is your platform. We'll say things like that to say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up ways of influence for you. Can I say, yes, that's true, and God may use you to encourage others, but Mike, can I encourage us that that's not our aim to have influence, but our aim is to look and sound and feel like Jesus? To constantly obey whatever God is telling us to do, whether it makes sense or not, whatever it lines up with our experience or not, we're going to trust him. We're going to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it. 
Kingdom success is crucifixion, and we can celebrate together what that looks like. Say, man, I know you're going through something difficult, but you're looking more like Jesus today than you were five years ago, two days ago, right? It's a different perspective, and we can have it. And if trials are the very thing that the Lord can use to make us that way, let them come. He's using them. He's answering our deepest cry of Jesus. Make me more like you. I want my actions to line up with my confession. The second thing he asks us to do during a trial is to ask for wisdom to pray. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Ask for wisdom of how to walk through the trial to make right use of it. Have you guys ever walked through something and you go, God, please, if I have to go through this, teach me the lesson fully right now. I do not want to do this again. Teach me the full effect. I'm not gonna rush it because I want the whole, whole thing, the whole lesson What's beautiful about the Bible, it says actually ask. Go to God, ask him. He's generous and liberal. He wants to give us these things. He has the abundance. He is the source of wisdom. And he says he will not withhold it from us. And so often we go to our mothers or we go to our best friend or we go to a book or we go to online sources and we see, well, maybe I'll crowdsource what should I do in this situation? And God is just saying, hey, would you just ask me? Ask me first. And you know what is beautiful about this, but so difficult? You know, God, he just takes his sweet time in answering. His sweet time. He's got all the time. And that's when we started declaring scripture like, God, don't you know my life is like a piece of grass? I'm like a flower. Come on. But what it does, it slows us down, gives us perspective helps us not to regret any responses that we might have. Ask for it. And it's, I think this is the kicker is, if we're gonna ask for it, and this is what he's talking about being double-minded, if we're gonna ask for it, we need to be willing to obey whatever he says. Because that believers in our in our Kind of kingdom, sometimes we ask God and then we ask a pastor and then we maybe ask somebody else who's a little further in their faith or a little stronger here. And there's nothing wrong with getting wisdom from one another. We've, we've walked the roads. But we need to ask God first and wait on him. You know, the word abide means to remain, to be intentional about remaining under something heavy. We can abide in him and we can wait on him. We can wait, but we must be willing then to obey whatever it is that he says. God asked Abraham to take his son as a sacrifice. But you know what God did? Once Abraham went up on that mountain, God provided a sacrifice. But then he confirmed the covenant that he made with Abraham because Abraham was walking in obedience. It was crazy. What thing has God asked us to do that we haven't done? We've asked God, God, would you give us wisdom? And then we just didn't do it. 
because it was too far out there, or it was, I was like, ah, I don't feel like it, or I'm too risky. God wants to give us wisdom. An example of abiding that James gives us is in verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. It's this, he's, he's showing, you know, he, he's gonna encourage people who, who are poor in earthly goods. And we're gonna talk more about that later in the book. He goes into the conditions of what put them there. But he's saying, wait, trust the Lord, abide there, stay there, continue to rely on God. And I love it because what he's saying is Christianity brings a new dignity to all of us. It has nothing to do with a dollar in the bank. Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with our influence or how wise we are in business. The dignity doesn't come by what we do, but it comes by who Jesus is and what he's done. We should be sad when there is a when we treat one another with difference based on how we dress or the influence we have or the things that we have. Favoritism and discrimination are violations of the kingdom of which we live. They really are. The second thing I wanted to talk about today is simply this, and that's the revealing of our sinful nature, our sinful heart during those trials. Have you ever walked through something and you just grumble and you complain? You still had to walk through it. <laughs> that's what it's talking about, temptation. We, we're tempted to do all these things. We're tempted to curse God. We're, we're tempted to take comfort in worldly things. And we, we excuse it for one another all the time when we're going through some, something difficult. Oh, you know, just find comfort in these things, whether it's TV or books or this pastime. And there's appropriate ones to do, but we should be finding our comfort in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Often when we face trials, we face the temptation to sin because the true nature of our hearts are revealed when we are squeezed and when we are oppressed. We're going to close, and I know that might seem a little fast, a little quick, but we want to have time for the Holy Spirit to minister to us in very specific ways today. So at what point do we become like Jesus? Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and it's not, again, because we've just decided through sheer willpower or disciplines that I'm going to do that. It's by the grace and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, you can aid this. You know, honestly, I, I, have, I have seen this in two ways, and God uses them both. We can make a decision to actively pursue the changing of our nature through Jesus. Yes, pray, worship, declare who he is fast. You can do that and he will use that. And then he also uses trials. If we submit to him during those times.
Six weeks ago, I had a miscarriage. Our baby's heart stopped beating. And, and then I had complications with that miscarriage, and I almost died. But by the grace of God, and, and my husband, I lived, I'm here. And there's, obviously there's more to that story and later on I can share that, but some of the follow-up appointments that I had to go to because of that, um, I had to go to several and I was getting some blood work drawn and my daughter who is two loves the doctor. She loves doctors and nurses. She just thinks it's the coolest thing. So I decided I was gonna take her with me and if you've ever had blood drawn, usually it's pretty quick. It goes pretty quick, you're in, you're out. So I took her with me and I sat her down on the chair next to me and I gave her some strawberry gummy fruit snacks, right? A super special treat. I'm just praying, okay, just like sit there, you know? And I'm explaining the process to her as the nurse takes my arm and puts the needle in and I tell her, okay, the nurse, the nurse is gonna put the needle in. She jumps out of her chair and she throws down her fruit snacks. And if you know two-year-olds, that is a sacrifice of love. <laughs> that truly is. And she grabs my hand and she says, Mama, I'll help you be brave. That's what James is doing. That's what Jesus is doing. He's holding our hand and he is saying, I'll help you be brave. The battle of faith that you are in right now is worth it. The fight you're in right now is worth it. It's not about the here and now, it is about eternity. What we face and what we experience right now is so temporary. And we will press on and we will press in. We will press on and we will press in and we will become like Christ. If a trial is what brings us to Jesus, let the trial take place. You notice James doesn't say pray that the trial may be removed from you. Often that's our go-to prayer. Dear God, please help me. Dear God, please rescue me. Don't let this happen. No, 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 no. James is saying, count it as joy because you are gonna look and you're gonna sound and you're gonna respond like Jesus and Jesus is perfect. And he's in the presence of God our Father. Now it is not our actions that determine our salvation. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> it's a whole other message. If that is something you're struggling with, trying to figure out, am I good enough? Please come talk to somebody. Come talk to somebody on staff. But we have an opportunity to be like him. Let's be like him. He's saying it's possible. And let's celebrate as a family what it means to be crucified like Christ.
together. Would you stand with me if you're able? We're gonna go into a time of communion and the ushers are gonna pass out communion row by row. You guys can start that process. You know, I don't know why God did not heal my baby. I don't know why he healed me. But I am not going to let my experience dictate my faith. And I wanna open up a time as we take communion. If there is an area in your life where you have walked through, maybe you're in it right now, it's a trial. And trials come in all shapes and sizes and our actions and our words. That's what we're gonna find out in the rest of the book. James is gonna give it to us real good. But if there's an area that you have faced a trial in the past, a trial right now, and you haven't been able to count it joy, I want you to be able to count it joy today. If you need to respond to a trial by asking for wisdom, do it today. If you are facing temptation, you are facing the own sinful nature that is coming out of you, surrender it today. Submit it today. Our intellect can be submitted to Jesus today. Our experiences that don't line up with who we say that God is, we don't have to deny them, we can submit them. We submit them, we don't have to deny them, we walk through them and we will walk through more. Our aim is not to get through this life without any pain. It's to look like Jesus. Father, we're here to meet with you. Thank you for meeting with us, God. Thank you for not only saying live this way, and it can be this way because this is the way I've created you to live in this beautiful, pure, holy, precious way. But God, then you give us your spirit to be able to walk in that. Father, I ask that you would just come with your hand of peace, your hand of healing, your hand of comfort, God, to us. Father, things that we haven't been able to submit, we submit to you today. God, those things that we have said, well, there's no way I can count that joy because it still lingers behind me. We submit it to you today. For all those ways of forgiveness, God, we've been trying to walk in and we've said we've forgiven and we've forgiven and we've forgiven and yet we still are confronted with it. Today we forgive again. Father, most of all, would you cultivate in us hearts that cry out, make us into your image, Jesus. Whatever it takes, 
whatever it takes. We're going to sing this song, and then Jacob is going to lead us in taking communion together. But during the song, I just want to encourage us to wait upon the Lord. Submit those places of your own heart, of your own life that need to be submitted. And then we're going to declare as we take the cracker and as we drink the juice who he is after the song.